having a brief discussion about Squirmian Grubs, a group that Jen really- It's not has. a group. Well, whatever they are. Okay, Squirmian Grubs is a YouTube show and it's Shane and Hannah Burkaw and I love them. And I've, I've, I've sent it, not an email, but I, they read their comments on their shows. towards them. I do. I've the for like, I've been watching them for a couple of years and I really, really want to talk to them about anything that they really want to talk about regarding disability and accommodation and, you know, accessibility and stuff like that. And they're just really cool. I just, I really like that. They're not as cool as Bruce. Like if you were able, if you were able to get like Squirmy and Grubs to show up at like a birthday for me, that would be, I'd be so excited. Well, I will do the best I can. Even maybe more than Nina excited. Well, your ascension has been in part because of wonderful people along the way who were there for us in the early stages my good friend Jordan Cheriton over at Status Quo was actually the first person to interview Jen when she ran for Congress in 2020, followed up by, uh, got to give a shout out to um, uh, uh, the lady's name slipping me, the one in Pennsylvania. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I will also say this about Jordan. Jordan's a catalyst in the other way, because you don't, do you remember when, when you and I sort of got reconnected after the campaign Yeah. was I was watching Jordan's show. I was watching Jordan's live stream and you were sitting on it with him. Oh yeah. And I messaged you and I'm like, what are you doing with Jordan? Like, it was funny. And that's when you and I started talking more like connected. Yeah. And so, and, so it and, all comes back to Jordan. As you could say that there are wonderful people that helped along the way. One of those people also was a lady by the name of Xenia Perez, who had a huge definitely in allowing uh, Jen to meet people with various groups that could potentially help endorse and give more name recognition and help along the way. And the person more than anyone else who provided that helping hand with brand new Congress is Zena Day who we are obviously very pleased to welcome to Generational Change for the first time, and definitely not the last time. What are you talking about for the first time? I don't think she's ever been on the podcast. Wait, now once before, that's right, yes. No, I think zayn has been on twice. Bring her on, bring her on. She's been on here a couple times, please. We, we won't. Three times, she says three times. I knew twice, I know twice she's been on the show. Seriously. Zayna, welcome back to Generational Change. (laughs) Hey, guys. <laughs> I think you're muted. You're muted. Oh. Please hold. <laughs> is it not her? Is it working I, now? I, did, I reinitiated the speakers when we redid the thing. Yeah, I don't think there should be any issue as far as that's concerned. Well, were we getting sound since we did it? Let me just look hmm. at something. Let me look Hang at on something. Hang on one second. Hold on one second. I know they can all hear us, but we need to go into... This is like not something I should necessarily be doing. We need to go into the settings. And I did it the other day. I don't remember how I got there necessarily, but there it is. But we need to figure out why our speakers aren't working. Our speakers are not working? Well, the speakers are working, but it's not sending it to the right place. And I can't remember how I got to... That. Oh Lord! It's always something here. Yeah, it's always we're tech, we're tech something. Illiter- we'll tech illiterate. Some I degree, think that but. should be settings, and it's not. And I don't know how to get to wherever that is. Why was it? Well, here. What, does this get me to that? I don't know. This is all new to me. All right, so we went through we're, the recycling of these I systems don't know what because to we were do. having problems the other day. All right, so let me see if there. Right. All right. Sound. Yeah. Output. Speakers. Yeah. yeah. Which speakers? Um, 
Is it that? Or is it that? Zaina, say something. Hey, no. y'all. <laughs> I think they can hear me in the no, chat. There, Maybe you guys can. There is can. speaking going on. Something's happening. Okay. So why aren't we hearing it? I don't know. I don't Are these know not plugged Monitor, in right? proper? I don't know. Let's try these. It's not the speakers, right? If you say you were seeing it. I, I, I did see this some, whole thing yesterday. Yeah, I see like... Oh. So we'll, we'll use hand... We'll, Z, say it again. Something? Hello, hello, hello. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, I guess it was just on speakers. And for some reason, we'll just happen to know that that's the one. So I guess you and I are just going to have a conversation because Jen decided to disappear. Oh, Jen's coming back. <laughs> oh, she's got her Medicare for All uh, vest from the uh, the Medicare for All marches. Absolutely. A couple years it, was a gift. Awesome. it was a gift from Eric Kessner. That's his name. Eric Kessner. And I, yes, that's the guy who does the vests. That's yeah. He's the, yeah, he's this guy. I'm telling you. That's cool. Yeah. Um, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, just finished up. Uh, we were working on a video today. Actually, it was mostly Colin and Tina working on it. I didn't have a lot. <laughs> I didn't contribute as much yet to this, but they interviewed uh, for status coup. They interviewed um, one of the protesters who had was arrested at uh, Cop City. Um, one of the I believe it's one of the folks that was charged with domestic terrorism for basically nothing. Yeah. Um, these charges are insane. Um, so they talked to one of the protesters down there, um, of course, making sure that, you know, whatever's published and, and that they're that they're respected and, and taken care of as well as we while, while we share the story. But it's it's crazy what's going on down there. So been uh, been trying to get the word out all weekend and early this week about you know the latest updates on that. Isn't it like to me, it's crazy that there's a place called Cop City. Can we talk about that for a second? Like that is. I thought it was I, just slang for something. No, no. And the That's thing not. is that th I think it's very, very telling of this. Like we live in a police state like this is and, and every little little sense of uprising must be extinguished immediately and harshly to render future uprisings less likely. Like that's how authoritarians think. And that we're seeing this. I feel like we're watching it in live time. That's seriously, there's a place called cop city. Yeah. I think that, that's crazy. Well, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much pillaging of the environment that you can continue to do with people continuing to ignore that this is a serious problem, regardless of what you think in terms of human activity causing runaway climate change, one thing that cannot be denied is destruction of the environment causes catastrophic problems for people's ability to live, whether it is where they can actually build homes, where you can get clean water. These are all connected. Be careful over there, Ben, touching so, that made yeah. our whole thing. Be careful you don't have it lean out of the wall at all because that's connected to the whole system. The whole This is like a Rube Goldberg studio situation here. So like if you move <laughs> one little thing, the whole system some goes to shit. Sorry. Anyway. Well, I just moved, so I'll, I'll show you guys the secret. I'm sitting in a bed. My light's over here, and I don't even have a desk yet. So. Where are you? Where <laughs> so, are you living? Um, 
I just moved in with a friend. My landlord decided to sell the place that my daughter and I were renting. And so we were 10 days late on rent. That was it. But they decided that they were going to sell the place. And so we got a last minute notice. And of course, we didn't want it to go on our record that there was an eviction. We got out of there and uh, um, my best friend, my partner, let me um, move in with him for a little while. Been friends for 20 years. Um, lived together off and on so many times, helping each other out and just yeah. uh, family, basically. So I came in and I, I moved in with family and we're just now getting settled and sorted. And uh, but, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild couple months, but made me think about how loose tenant laws are in this country um, to have to deal with that with no recourse whatsoever. Uh, it's just how it goes. You know, a landlord can just be like, OK, I'm going to sell this property. You got to be out in 30 days and they can just kick you to the curb. and. You know, yeah, you have to be high and dry. Now, we actually have uh, tenant laws are yeah. actually not terrible in Florida. Um, basically, no. you know, the home could be sold at any time. Uh, but if you're in a lease, uh, they have to honor the lease. Now, they can try to buy you out of the lease. And that does happen, especially with the crazy rising of rental rates in the state, especially in places like where we are, Orlando. Uh, you know, depending on how badly they think that they can increase the rent cost, if you are under contract, they could make you an offer that could be pretty substantial depending on where you want to be. But, I, you know, obviously rental laws are different in every state. And you're in West Virginia, right? Kentucky. 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 You know, what's interesting is that while I see that legislatively, the, the laws are clearly pro-owner, pro-landlord across the board. But what's interesting is that judicially, like in cases that I've seen as an attorney, the the like the jurists generally tend to go in favor of tenants. They do like judicially things generally go in favor of tenants. The problem is getting it to that level. Most people don't have the wherewithal or that can think to or go get help or can afford to get help or have the resources to get help. So it's easy to walk all over them. So it's, it's really interesting yeah. I mean, because yeah, legislatively you're screwed. Like I, I don't think there's nothing there. Nobody's and nobody goes after them. But when you do, I do think that, yeah, I don't think it's as horrible judicially, but who has the resources for that? That's the point. Oh, yeah. Basically, there's so much money for anything that's problematic like that. I mean, when it comes to, you know, racial discrimination, sexual harassment, getting kicked out of your your homes of any kind of civil process as an employee, a worker, a person, <laughs> it's it's so expensive. And a lot of times you can't find an attorney. People don't realize if there's not a cost incentive for, for, for a lot of attorneys, there's not as many that just do the good work of, of being able to take on cases pro bono and even being able to afford to. So there's less resources out there for people to combat the system. That's one of the ways they keep us, uh, you know, they keep us kind of, uh, held down, uh, if you have the money, you have the resources to fight the, the injustices. But if you have the money, you're fighting less injustices to begin with. <laughs> so it's a catch 22. Zaina, I couldn't I think we couldn't have probably picked a better time for you to come on. Obviously, you're aware of what's going on with Shama. Suwan. thank you. Finally said her name, right? Thank you. Uh, we've always maintained that if there's going to be any type of a uh you know, some type of a disruption of the two-party duopoly system. It's going to come from a labor Has movement. To be labor. Can't be any other way. And I think what she's attempting to do, which is obviously what was amiss with whether it is the People's Party, the Green Party, even the Libertarian Party, 
Uh, there has to be a very concise direction in terms of workers' rights, health care, environment, living wage. And this seems to be the type of movement that could really catch fire. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the initial stages of forming this and what it will take to actually make it succeed, because you were obviously, you know, front and center with an organization that attempted to do something similar. And of course, it did not succeed. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on what the yeah. Workers Strike Back movement needs to do in order to get this right. I like the name. I, lo I love the name. I yeah. think that it is it's a bold. Uh, it's a bold initiative. Yeah. One of the biggest problems I see with it right now is that it has a face and a leader. Like my advice to Shama would be give the microphone, start getting more voices, faces, people associated with that out there. Because one of the problems we've had on the left over and over and over again is that we keep placing our bets on a person or a personality instead of the movement and the idea. So letting the movement and the idea lead, I think, is where it's going to break through. Um, so, so it's awesome having somebody as bold and well-spoken um, as far as being able to really alliterate the issues. Like she's amazing at alliterating the issues, just talking through things. It's awesome to listen to her because she, she frames things in a way that, that everyone is consumable to everybody. But um, I, I just feel like we have to get away from sort of this hero bolstering that we have on the left and we have to start so letting the idea of this worker party lead rather than having a face for it, that would be my first suggestion to her, um, making sure that there's a very strong infrastructure, partnerships right out of the gate um, and having, you know, just like she always says for social alternative, socialist alternative, having a democratic process in place um, that's not so flat that nothing ever gets done, you know, like a holarchy where everyone is trying to do everything yeah. through, you know, a thousand committees. It doesn't work. Life can't work that way. You got to have some kind of structure. Um, but really, I think it's about listening to the workers and supporting them. And one of the problems that I see right now with with growing any kind of worker movement is is only between two to six percent of our country is unionized at this moment. Most workplaces aren't large enough. So I think it would be interesting to see more trade unions yes. um, that folks can get involved with that either, especially imagine if we had trade unions or independent contractorships right now, because so many millennials are doing gig work. Yeah. Um, that could be a really interesting one. So that's one of the areas that I see um, where we're lacking and then also combating um Temp jobs. We need to start going after these temp agencies right now who are skirting labor laws, skirting. Temp work is now 33% of the economy. And that's insane. So these places that used to hire people, used to hire them permanently, would give people benefits, would give people retirements, are now just doing the rollover, you know, um, hiring and then laying off. Then hiring, then laying off is the people at the top get rich. So, uh, yeah, those are those are my thoughts on it. It really starts with the people and it starts with the problems that we're facing. So getting out there and, and she probably already knows because they've already been talking to people. Yeah. Well, she has yeah. actually a success rate, right? Like she's actually succeeded in getting things done. 
Um, So, and I also think that she is very, very in with on the ground people in the labor movement. I don't think that this is one of those things where she's clearly said, this isn't about unions because the union bosses are often just as much part of the problem. She specifically said that this is about going to all labor. This is about workers. Um, And I think that she is the kind of person that people will want to be affiliated with. Like, I know that if she called up and said, hey, Jen, you want to start organizing the, you know, Florida, you know, workers strike back? I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. Please sign me up. Like, I can't help her enough. I mean, I've got my vest. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I think that there's a lot of other people you had even suggested connecting, like she should connect with India Walton. And that would definitely be a really good like cross pollination. But I think if, if she can bring in those kinds of people that it can be real and the labor is the universal organizer. And what's interesting is that I, I said, I remember when you were on with Nick and we were talking about the people's party moving for people's party. And I remember at that time saying something along the lines of, I'm not so sure that the third party is the way as much as labor uprising is the way to actually get that party. It's sort of like you can frame the and party. I agree with you. <laughs> like, you can't, sort of like you can make the party and hope they come, right? Or that could be the uprising. And I've been saying it for about two years on this show that the next movement has to come from labor and it has to come from the ground up. And that's exactly what she said in her letter. So I think she really gets it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't already have a ton of things in place, you know? Probably does. I mean, it's it, it felt to me that she's been I am just assuming here that she's been working on this for a while. Yeah. Also, you know, her and her team, whoever they may be, if if they're coming from Socialist Alternative and the other organizing that they've done, they've already got a lot of work under their belt because, I mean, I've looked at the organizing that they've done in Texas, for instance, over the last um, this summer. Um against, uh, you know, following following the mass shootings, also showing up um, all the protests that they, they had done in Seattle and throughout Washington state. Yeah. Yeah. They really have done a lot of work on the actual ground, getting people out to push for specific initiatives. And like you said, those are wins that they can then translate into what that means for, 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 for workers. Yeah, she's connected to the people on the ground and the workers, but if not for just the like seriously the fact alone that i think of her as the thorn in jeff bezos side and <laughs> nothing makes me more like that pleases me to no end and i'm sure like he'll be having parties thinking you know he's finally free of her she's not going to be on the council anymore and i think he doesn't have any idea what she's got coming for him like that's like he's probably thinking oh god thank god there can't be anybody as radical as her that could fill that spot right like I just think how many millions of dollars has he spent on that city council race every, like every time? Millions of dollars to him is 10, 20 bucks. Right. Us. But for a city council race, like, I don't know. I just, I love her for that. But I will say, you know, history has shown and the two most productive times in our nation's history when it came to labor were during both of the Roosevelt administrations and Part and parcel that happened because of the Eugene Debs of the world, the William Jennings, William Jennings Bryans of the world that had this really big labor coalition that created so much momentum that, as FDR said, make me do it. Well, you know, workers really grew to such a degree that they didn't have a choice. And then over the course of that two decade period, 
between FDR and JFK. You know, you had unionization in the country in, I think, like the 30 to 40 percent range. Today, it's at the all time low of 10 percent. That's not a mistake. And you can see why so many people are getting um, all kinds of crazy right now about, you know, everyone should be forming, you know, forming a, a union at their workplace. And it's true because day by day, a lot of the disintegration of the workforce around the country in terms of their rights are just being disintegrated over and over again, whether it is corrupt union bosses, whether it's the fact that the Democratic Party is a party of Wall Street and not Main Street. There's so many machinations that have come down the pike, but there is no doubt that if labor found a way to get its act together, I think that's the ticket for us finally moving in the direction that's going to save ourselves. I, I hate having to say it that way, but in many ways, that is where we're at. If we're going to save ourselves, it's going to be with labor. Well, it wasn't, I want, I'll have one thing to push back and that's it. It wasn't Eugene Debs. It wasn't the people that are the faces that get the credit for this. It's everyone it else. Yes. The people that were pissed off that caused the disruption Without disruption and with just a wealthy person or, or somebody at the helm as like a leader and, and we're just behind that and we're not doing anything but going, you know, on marches and wearing pink knitted hats, it's not going to get done. Like we have to make people uncomfortable. I had this idea. This is so crazy. But I was like, I was like, why don't we go and just like for a week we do things that like will disrupt people in bougie areas and get on their nerves like why don't we go occupy whole foods parking lots for 3 days straight so that nobody can park there and demand that their their food um their ugly fruit stuff like that go to um because it used to go to food banks and now they've pulled that back they're not giving the excess to anyone, they're just throwing it in dumpsters. So why don't we have a call to action like that or, or a call to action to support union organizers in different ways? Like people say, don't necessarily stop buying the product because that's paying our paychecks. Um, but there's other ways we can make things uncomfortable. But what was so amazing about the labor movement, the march up, you know, the march up Blair Mountain, um, the rallies in the street, the the women who walked out of the offices in the late 80s, you know, um, calling for uh, equal pay for equal work uh, in in the, the, the women's rights labor movement in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, was that they were causing disruption. They were leaving the offices. They're like, hey, dude, you're not going to have anybody to get your coffee and your lunch for you today and to answer your phones. We're outie. And without the disruption, we're not going to have that. But there's something you always talk about, Jen, that's really important, you and Peter both, and that's they they have to have an infrastructure. We have to have a mutual aid and a strong infrastructure in place to be able to support workers, to be able to support this disruption, to be able to protect people from being arrested, to be able to have a legal network without these safety nets. And we had those. We had those in the Battle of Blair Mountain to a certain extent. You know, we've had the mutual aid. Iran right now, Iran is is protesting. They have had a general strike for 90 days and it's because in our culture in Iran it's built into the it's baked in the cake the the cultural um, community uh, the way that that people come in and they feed each other and they clothe each other and if a store closes down or there's a storm other towns come and pick it up we have that a little bit but it's I'm telling you it's not the same no they, they don't have that baked in yeah 
We don't have that. I talk about it a lot. We don't have a concern for the collective in this country. We don't think about the collective. We are a very individualistic um, society. And, you know, somehow that's people think of that like that's such a good thing. Well, it really isn't a good thing because people are interconnected, whether you sort of nurture it or not. And the fact that people don't understand this is what holds us back from having nice things. Because to me, it, it, it applies to everything. Okay, we're all better off with people having healthy lives. We're all better off with people so having healthcare. We're all better off with people being educated. We're all like we're all better off with these things, but yet people get very well. Why should I pay for that? I'm like, there's no concept of collective, and that is our biggest problem. But yet, when you look at labor, that is a common enough denominator that people can get behind. And if enough places do it, then we can get behind because. That's one of those things like whether you were a Trump person or a Bernie person, um, you very likely could be a labor supporter. Uh, it, 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 they are. They are both. It, it's right. So, you know, misguided as it may be in either direction for people, whatever it is. But I don't like, think it's misguided at all. I think that people are desperate and they don't really care. Well, no, but following uh, somebody like Trump, who's actually a faux populist, if you sure. were an actual populist, then you would say, yes, that makes sense. And what he's what he's saying is populist propaganda. Yeah. And he's been there before. And we all know that he wouldn't do the things that were necessary to help workers. Bernie obviously has espoused the message for a long time. But, you know, you have whether you want to argue about the squad and the lack thereof in terms of their efforts on the Hill. Um, at the same <laughs> time, you know, the part of the reason why it doesn't really makes sense to complain about what Alex and the rest of them are doing or not doing is because there isn't a robust movement cohesive on the outside no. that can basically pressure the hell out of them to say, listen, this is our freaking show. We put your asses there. We'll take your asses out if we have to. There isn't that pressure that has been created. And there's no mandate. Where, there's no mandate for anything. Where we can ultimately talk about you know, the fact that there are bad faith actors, especially on the left, there are people who are in it for the wrong reasons that create a lot of dissension that are not really trying to formulate this labor movement that needs to happen. Or if they do, they want all the credit for it and they want the money and all that. Uh, I would assume that you kind of see it in a similar vein regarding the lack of cohesion in a lot of the left, you know, populist left circles where it needs to be strong. And if it were strong, we would be having a very different conversation regarding the movement right now. Do you see it the same way? I do. Where I see a problem is that there's two types of populism, right? Well, there's a few veins of populism, but there is the right wing fascistic populism that can sometimes. Um, Oh, are you talking while muted? No, Blame her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, was I apologize. I just wanted to pass. We multitask. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's no problem. I was like, oh no, she's no. asking me a question. Okay. No. <laughs> sorry. I was actually. I did that yesterday to Jordan, I think. So <laughs> you like, understand. Yes. I was talking to my dog, though, but yeah. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> um there's there's those there's a couple of veins of populism and one of them sometimes washes in some things that matter like there's this big anti-war protest that i don't support because the mrs caucus and the people's party are backing it the mrs caucus are they support you know through the libertarian party they support everyone being 
ran out of the country who um, are DACA recipients. So deporting all DACA recipients, they support, you know, completely ending immigration. They support um, transgenocide. So no, to hell with them. I'm not going to stand on stage and, and fight. If, if David Duke came to me tomorrow and he's like, I support Medicare for all, will you join my rally and speak with me on stage? I would tell him to go somewhere right? because there's two types of populism. And one thing that I see on the left is there's a confusion. Like there is a swing toward that fascistic right-wing populism and calling it populism and embracing it on the left and then mixing in some socialist ideas. And then there's another left vein that is sort of can be a little bit more neoliberal sometimes, but also is, is pretty far left on issues. Um, and then there's the worker movement. There's a movement that the rest of us are worried about that is a humanist like you were talking about the collective is a humanist collective idea of interconnectivity on how things go. And we give a damn about racial injustice. We give a damn about the LGBT community. We give a damn about the workers. We understand that, you know, capitalism is literally killing us and that the wage gap is killing us. We understand that all these things that the environment, you know, the damage to the environment and everything are all intertwined and we want the shit fixed. You know, and I think that's the biggest bubble, but I feel like most of the people that are out there talking are talking to those two fringe sets, right? And there's no one talking to the rest of us. Yeah. Well, hopefully and that's what they Shama does talk to the rest of us. That's one reason that I think she stands out. Yeah. Well, maybe that's, and maybe that's the person. Maybe that's the person that needs to spark it outside of the political arena. The political thing, like when I'm talking and I say that I'm a leftist, I don't mean politically. And most certainly I don't mean that politically in this country because that doesn't mean anything here. When it I doesn't that, exist here. <laughs> like for me, I think of it much more from a socioeconomic term from a working class versus ruling class term um, and, and much more in that vein, more so than I'm talking about my policies on, you know, you know, women's rights or whatever. Now, yes, I do. I'm left on that as well. But when we're talking about workers and the class struggle, when, when we're talking about that, that's what we're talking about, collectivism versus authoritarianism. And it, isn't, it has nothing to do with Democrats and Republicans. That's a ridiculous theater. It's much more easy to get co-opted into the whole, uh, you know, DeSantis and Trump uh, phenomenon because, you know, the choices are so limited. Uh, people do not actually see anyone actually stepping up in a way that's going to get them excited about the prospects of the future, especially this, uh, you know, upcoming election cycle, which is going to be, you know, I mean, it's going to be bad. That, that much I can say. Uh, but it's all about what you do outside of the electoral politics that is going to be the key for the long-term yep. success. If all you're concerned about is whether- And local. And, local. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Local's huge. You know, that, and, and we have, I mean, look, we have a state chair race that's happening in the next month here in Florida. There really isn't that much to write home about. There are some uh, members of Gen Z that are uh, very enthusiastic about a couple of people that are running, which is great. You know, for the party, uh, there's still the old pawns and even the, you know, rooks and the bishops and even the queen that's still in place, who's our congresswoman. You know, and until those things change here in Florida, we're going to be dealing with the ascension of uh, the Ron DeSantis of the world. 
Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of others out there who will seize on that opportunity. Because what I see all the time is, especially when it comes to, let's say, you know, permanent Washington, the deep state, if you will, there has been a significant shift in terms of where things were 15, 20 years ago with the GOP to where they have completely co-opted the Democratic establishment in so many ways. I think that has been done deliberately as a means to kind of confuse a lot of the population because they knew how effective Bernie was even back in 2015. They saw what he was, what he represented, and how he could actually cultivate tens of millions of people. But if they co-opt the Democratic Party to the degree in which it basically becomes the suburban Republican Party, that it, people are not really going to know what to do. They're not going to really, well, the Republican Party represented the Democratic Party represent, I like that Ron DeSantis. That guy is definitely speaking my language. I definitely like what he has to say. I can't stand these two parties. And let me tell you, I hear that a lot, Z. I hear that constantly about how I hate the two parties. But I like Ron DeSantis. I like Donald Trump. And that is the problem with where we are right now. We are the, the system will not course correct. And they are determined to destroy themselves and all of us to avoid a working class uprising in the United States. That's what I see. Uh, I don't think politics is complicated. I think people are complicated. You just have to be willing to cut through the bullshit, which I think is very, it's very ego driven and very tribal driven as to why that doesn't happen as much as it should. And I, I think people like DeSantis and Trump. There are poor working people that like DeSantis and Trump, but if you lots. look at it, oh yeah, lots. If you look at it statistically, it's it's very marginally a lot lower. The media loves to tell us that, but it's mostly upper middle class whites in the suburbs that support DeSantis. It's, it's wine moms that support DeSantis and Trump. It's people that want to maintain that middle class. I own a home. I have two cars. My kid can go to soccer. I have these things and these GD millennials and Zoomers, they want the same thing, but there's not enough for all of us. And these people are saying that they're going to secure this for us and they're going to secure the middle class. We like that. You know, um, we want our taxes cut. We want to be able to keep our health insurance and our decent jobs. And that's what it boils down to, I think, sometimes. And that's where the pressure comes in with the younger audiences. Now, there are people that are I live in Kentucky, so I see it. There are people that are, you know, um, working class, blue collar people. But there's this mythology that, you know, most of Trump supporters are that and most of DeSantis supporters and most of the right wing. Well, most of the people that are either staunchly Democrat, staunchly Republican or fall into that, you know, MAGA category are upper middle class white people. And I don't have anything against upper middle class white people as a whole. You know, there's good people. There's bad people across all spectrums. But what I'm trying to get at is I don't feel like there's anyone out there talking to the people that aren't voting the 73% that say they identify as independent, I think that we keep focusing on who is voting and not the people that don't show up, which is the majority of the country, because we don't have anyone there to speak for them. And I think those are the people that we're really going to be able to mobilize in a labor movement. And those people, you know, a lot, social issues, for instance, there's this whole anti-woke thing. Social issues matter to people. If a candidate ran on... Um, not caring about women's rights, even in Kentucky, they would lose. If they ran on an anti-gay platform in Kentucky, they would lose. 
in this state. They would lose. We have a we have a massive gay community in Louisville and Lexington. We do. LGBT community here is strong and it always has been. It was the first state to pass um, fairness ordinances in the country. So um, you run on that, you lose. So we had some anti um, running on for state house. We had some people that were anti woke and they got crushed by, you know, regular working people. So it's, I don't know. I feel like we kind of have to get beyond the, the politics is important. Local politics is extremely important, but I feel like we have to get beyond this misconception of what the working class is. They're not MAGA. They're not, they care about social issues. They're not a bunch of ignorant bigots. They're smart, they're educated, they're poor, a lot of them are, and, you know, they they work all the time, so most of them don't even know what the hell's going on. They're not plugged in like we are. They're working two jobs and taking their kids back and forth to school, and they might not even know who the hell DeSantis is except for seeing them on TV twice. Yeah, well, most people have no participation in the political system whatsoever. That's the majority of people. We live in a bubble of that, and so even when we're talking about uh, the general group that we're talking about, that's still a pretty small niche. Like we're, we're a yeah. niche in the niche and, and there's really not, you know, it's by design when somebody is working three jobs and they're just busting ass to just keep food on the table. They don't have time to get involved in politics. They don't have time to get involved in organizations that are protesting. And the, the thing is in reality, it doesn't matter who's president to them. It really doesn't. Like if you go into the places in this country where people are struggling, it's generational. This is not something that it's it mattered to them whether or not it was Trump or Biden. It, and many of them don't know one way or the other. Most people don't even vote. Because so, our lives didn't change, Jen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You were. I think that you should talk to Shama about this, because when you guys were running, one thing that I always said that I had a lot of respect for your campaign for, because I was there, I was like promoting it through BNC and having you guys send me stuff to share and occasionally writing emails. I remember the things that you guys were doing on the ground through generational change with your campaign money. Yeah. While I saw their candidates raise two, three, four million and spend it on the campaign. That's fine. You guys were raising money and actually doing organizing, whether it be a protest to demand something real that could get done locally, not some way up in the air thing that's just fundraising BS. You actually had like people that you were going to to pressure for specific things or it was the, you know, the, the food drives that you guys were doing. Um, the flooding drives to help with the flooding in, in Miami and other places in Florida. Um, the uh, the the hurricane relief where people were still not you know with, I think there was an event for like roofing or something that you guys even did like it was things that were real and tangible that you were yeah. using your campaign funds on so when people are like this or that slib not slib whatever I'm like look you know Jen Perlman was one of the few that actually spent campaign dollars on organizing on the ground because I remember you saying. Because you had some contractors that came in that were shitty. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, girl. Not you, about that. you learn. You learn as you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I remember you guys saying after that, you know, I don't want to spend money on this nonsense. Let's spend money on organizing. That's the best way to advertise. And we can help people at the same time. 
And to be honest, the right wing are really good at that, y'all. Oh, yeah. They do on the ground stuff all the time for people. They'll do baseball games. They'll give to Optimus Leagues. They'll have drives. The The church. church. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us, it's really about service. It's always the whole point is, is that representation is supposed to be a term of service. So my thought is, if you're going to run for the representative, you want to be the representative, just be the representative. So, I mean, really, it was just about showing up in different communities and helping where they needed help. That's really all it was. And it, it isn't even necessarily where it's all successful. But I got to tell you, when, what people really want is somebody who sees them and will fight for them and be transparent with them. That's what they want. They don't expect people to get in there and get all these things done. They don't even. They don't. Like, but you, sh- you should see people's faces when we're canvassing. And, I, and I'm saying, what do you need? What's going on with you right now? Is there anything I can do that can help you? And there were some times where we could. You know, there were some times where we could, but, you know, these are people who they don't ever see their congressperson doesn't ever come there or or have events that they could actually go to or whatever. Or ask them, how are you doing? What do you need? (laughs) Our congresswoman doesn't even take appointments with people. And that's supposed to be part of your job. Like our congresswoman wouldn't even meet with one of our local leading organizers for um, Bernie, for PDA, for all those groups. This was like the person who was the hub of that. I don't know if you knew Mitchell Stolberg, but, and he was somebody who spoke for a lot of people down here and she wouldn't even meet with him. Like, how is that representing anybody, right? Like, so I just, we wanted to use our campaign to demonstrate what it's supposed to look like. The best was when we have uh, a local organization, a great nonprofit that does food distribution for underserved communities. And once her campaign got wind of it, they figured, well, the best way to counter that is to get Debbie to go out with uh, one of the big box groups right. and, hand out, and handing out food. And of course, she did it one time for about an hour. And so that <laughs> is supposed to make it look like I'm really representing you. Now, Debbie is not Debbie's one of the absolute worst in all of politics. So using her as a barometer is not necessarily right. She's definitely the, low end. You know, the example of. You know, somebody who eventually gets a little fire lit under their ass, like a Jimmy Gomez, who is not the worst representative in the world, but he's still a corporate Democrat. And every time somebody challenges him in East L.A., he's got literally his boots on the ground out in the streets working his butt off. That's part of the job. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Not like, oh, crap, I might lose my very lucrative position. And right. I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, it's ironic. It's ironic because I truly believe that if you were serving and being the actual representative in the way that you're supposed to be the representative, you wouldn't be beatable by an election. No, I actually Uh believe that if you were doing your work and you were working in your community and you spent your months not in Washington actually serving your community and your community knew you and it was how it was supposed to be that you would just keep that people would want to support you. I actually believe that to be true. And I, I think that I'd love to see somebody prove that not to be the case. And because I think, I think that's instead Dems and Republicans have to try to keep people from voting and pour tens of millions in and keep people yeah. out of the polls and off the ballot in, in order to protect their incumbents from any kind of challenge or from being replaced. Well, I also think that one of the more underrated aspects of Alex beating Crowley was the fact that he wasn't even in the district. He wasn't there, wasn't representing the people. And that's a very common problem with a lot of these representatives. You know, they're only there when they feel like they absolutely have to be there. And that's still a big problem. 
but I am curious from your perspective, you know, being involved with BNC and knowing that there is so much discombobulation on the left, it does seem that a lot of people end up running for offices that is, you, know, you could call it punching above your weight class and all that. But it seems that a lot of people are not as strategic, particularly on the populist left, that, that they need to be and should be. And that ultimately serves as a deterrent for the actual movement itself, because there is only so much funds to go around in order to help a lot of these campaigns. It takes a lot of money, especially to run for Congress. It's even more insane to run for the U.S. Senate, especially if you're doing it in a big state. And so where do you see sort of the fault lines regarding, you know, where things could have been done better differently and could still be done fairly well going forward if the strategy was more sound? Well, I think that um, people being nominated to run was really cool. Like some of some of the best candidates that we had running were nominated by their communities, like the real, you know, some some of the most salt to the earth candidates that I had on the slate were nominated by their communities to run. Um, another thing, and Thomas just mentioned it. Hi, Thomas. Uh, my bestie. <laughs> uh, that's why we need to focus on local and state office. Going to get to that in just a moment. <laughs> um, but the second big thing is accountability. We have a lot of these orgs. We have our rev, Justice Democrats, brand new Congress. They said, and Jen, you know, because you signed it, you know, when you ran, that we would hold people accountable to the policies that we're signing on to hold people accountable to the policies. But once these people get elected, it's like fundraising goes above holding them accountable. And I witnessed this at brand new Congress. You know, I wish them well. I don't hold anything against them, but I'm just being honest. We literally they were wanting to take accountability out of the mission statement. And I'm kind of like, well, what's the point? If we're an organization that's going to endorse people, withholding that endorsement is your power. You know, speaking out, speaking in support when support is needed, but also speaking out when a challenge is needed. Um, to be able to challenge these organizations not challenging and just falling in line like the DSA has on some things. Oh, um, like what, oh. what happened with the railroad strike is all these orgs fell in line with the squad and stuff and, and the Democrats, they endorsed everyone fell in line against the workers and was out there, you know, making excuses for this vote. No, the point of these orgs and the reason that people volunteer and support them is to hold these representatives accountable. I believe that that should be the point of a damn party, too. Yeah. And well, what about when I say it doesn't work? Go when ahead. I say this about the Progressive Caucus, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, I keep saying, what is the point? What is the point? Of a block of people, well, I mean, the fact that there's certain people in there is just silly, but what is even the point of having a block if you don't ever do anything? I would also like to suggest that we stop using the term squad. Um, and I, I did a little bit on this where I actually pulled up the definition of squad. And by definition, squad is a team of people that come together to perform a mission. That's the definition <laughs> of a squad. And I would suggest that that is not, there is no cohesive enough group to say that it is a squad. And so like, to me, that's just sort of like this media term. That's like this media theater term that we use to basically talk about the handful of people that were supposed to be fighting for the left, but don't really. The only I think that's, we'll, we'll just say that every time the handful of people that was supposed to fight for the left, but don't really, we'll put that on every round. <laughs> but don't you think that's more fitting than squad? Yeah. 
The only one of that group that really seems like has real fire in the belly is Rashida. Uh, yeah. She still does, uh, especially when it comes to Israel Palestine. She's not backing down, and that she was won't one of come the first... on. Though I want her to come on yeah. so badly, uh, and do you have to deal with Russia? A D, I know, and Russia is like the gatekeeper, and for some reason, it's hard <laughs> oh, yeah. to get it's hard to get through. And I, you know, but the problem with Alex and the problem with Corey in particular is, I, I understand that they have this irrational, to a degree, fear that the party is just going to sick the wolves on them if they don't just do what they're told, but. My attitude is you're so inspiring to the people in New York City and St. Louis. You can be cultivating that support network in such a way that there is nothing DC can do to take Where you out you of power. Where you can say, fine, bring it. Like I- or uh, if, if, they, Oh, go ahead, Jen, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I would love somebody to get in that doesn't give a shit about being reelected. That's what I was just about to say. And, and they shouldn't care. And, and Alex is talking about relational problems. You're not there to make friends, honey. That's not the point. This isn't like a sorority. Alex is a She told us when she ran a brand new Congress, the whole damn point, like the whole point was yes. to not make friends. The whole point was to raise hell. The whole yes. point was to push the envelope. If they're not doing that, there is no point. I understand that sometimes there has to be some kind of compromise. That's why I mentioned like the, the war rally thing that I'm upset about. Because you don't compromise with the damn Mrs. Caucus. If you have to always look at the broader picture, you can yeah. sometimes come together on one issue, one random issue or another, but you do have to look at the bigger picture. When I look at the bigger picture of, you know, what Corey's done, what AOC has done, Corey backed out on her housing as a human rights um, legislation. As soon as Biden gave that 60 day moratorium with her on the steps, she totally dropped that and stopped promoting the housing as a human rights. And I'm like, this bill, you being on the steps, she could have pressured with that opportunity for that bill. And that's what she should have done. What are and they threatened so, with? What are they threatened with? What do you I think? Don't think I mean, I have anything, my honest to God truth, you know, my honest to God feeling is once you get up there, you're surrounded with people that tell you to do the greatest good. You have to play ball. You have to do this. You have to do that. They get these DC insider and then I met a lot of people that ran and I'm just going to be honest and I'm not going to say who, cause I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, right. but after they ran, it changed them. They wanted to run again. They started becoming like kind of self absorbed. I know who you're talking about and I don't even have to. And it's interesting. And I, I, I was <laughs> not anything. And of all the people that I know of, I, or at least it's the person that comes to my mind. That's what's really interesting. We'll have to we'll have to discuss after. But that's really interesting. Where sometimes you no, it's like there were several of them that I met like yeah. this. It was really concerning to me because it's like after people run, like I met them in the beginning and then after the race and then even after sometimes running a couple times. Um, and just to be clear, I'm not talking about my bestie Paula, as <laughs> I said, ran a couple times. But there that hasn't done that to be honest but there are you don't the think you find anybody who yeah. hasn't done that yeah you do occasionally but it does change you and i understand why because you're thrown into the spotlight you have to worry about what you say you have all these people around you that are constant you know what it was like to run i and do I but to me if you get elected you don't like to me if you don't if you're going in there with a perspective of I am here to spend these two years 
busting ass, oh, yeah. using my platform, causing a ruckus, helping labor, doing everything I can. I don't expect to get legislation passed. I'm not delusional, right? But I'm going to use this platform to bring the outside in as much as I possibly can. And I don't give a shit about being reelected. Imagine how powerful that is. Wasn't that the point, Jen? And well, then that's that- my point. That's my yeah. point. That was you know, the point of brand new Congress and Justice Democrats, though. That was the whole thing that I wrote emails promising people for yeah. four years when I worked for brand new Congress that we were going to do. But that brings me to the very third and last thing I was going to mention. And I just want to throw that out there really quickly. My biggest lesson learned is to turn my attention away from federal politics from the House and the Senate. We can work on that. I'm not saying to completely ignore it, but I feel like there needs to be a lot stronger focuses at the state level and municipal levels, because for God's sake, the stuff that is being passed in the state houses now are just straight up fascism and corporatism. Like some of these laws, like some of the um, uh, the right to work laws, anti-abortion laws. We're in Florida. We got the trifecta. I know it's like Kentucky. We, we, Florida and Kentucky, right in the same boat, man, on this stuff. It's bad. And they are literally chipping away not only at our civil liberties, but our economic rights. And it's bad. It's yeah. bad. And, and that's all being done at the local, state, and municipal levels. And you know what? That is the battle. That is where the Tea Party is focused. That's where the right wing is focused. And they're taking them. Every single election cycle, they take more state houses. Have you guys noticed? Oh, and it's been it's been very systemic. It's been very purposeful. Oh, it's intentional. And I oh, it's intentional. But but I actually think that it's somewhat intentional in the higher rankings when you look at the Democratic Party for allowing it to happen. And basically, absolutely, they didn't even run people in half of my state, your state, right? Yeah. Oh, we had a handful. There were like I want to say there were like twenty something state house seats that were viable, that they didn't even try. They didn't even do anything. Yeah. They didn't even. There and, was a great guy. And then they threw money behind people great, like Charlie Chris. Yeah, there's a great guy named Anthony. Yes, Mievis. Charlie Chris. Yeah. Anthony Mievis is up in the Orlando, Osceola County great area. Guy. And he was really a true grassroots candidate. Of candidate. The, of, I had no idea. He had, I, he almost won his race with like less than $15,000. And the party couldn't see to it to throw him 10 grand right at the end just to make sure he had enough to go. He lost the race by like a point. Yeah. And to me. And he was their candidate. That he was their Democratic is, candidate. Yeah, that's deliberate. Like, that's deliberate. Because he was a progressive. Yeah. you don't. Well, he's, again, stop using the word progressive. All right, not progressive. He was somebody who cared about working people. Non-corporate. Correct. Populist. Correct. And Sorry. when you have mm-hmm. the ability to get, because there is no distinction between, there, if, if you want the most clear-cut distinction, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to political terms, you're either corporate or non-corporate. Make a choice. Like that's that's how it is. There's no shades of gray. Not really. You are either on the side of workers or you're on the side of shareholders. You have to make a choice. That's how it works. Now you can co-opt terms like progressive, which has been done. Well, that's why. Yeah, we when we talk same thing about left. What is left here in this country? Left is not left. Left is center. I mean, I don't. We don't I, we, there's no left uh, party that exists here whatsoever. <laughs> They're both fascistic right wing parties. Right. It's, it's shades of it's shades of fascism. But like, what's interesting is that. But when I say that's why I say when I say left, I'm not talking about our political system. I'm talking like in a global sense. Um, but, but, and I think that like my fellow people know what I'm talking about, but no, this, there is no left in our political system here. There is no left. And that's what we have to work on because people don't like the terms. No one wants to be talking about 
I'm left, I'm this. I always say, best example I can give was on election day, we were helping out. Great guy, Nick Sortle. He's now the mayor of the town that we both live in, uh, Plantation, which is, for all intents and purposes, may very well, if Jen were to run again, would be ground zero against Wasserman Schultz. This is the most... Although she lost a chunk of the district. Wait till you see how little of it is. is in. Yeah, it's uh, plantation's probably the most affluent Jewish part of, uh, of, of the current congressional district. So there's that tug of war with those voters. And one of the things that I really took away from being out at the polls on election day, because it turns out that we were supporting the candidate that would be in line to support somebody like Jen, whereas the person who was the mayor was one of Debbie's biggest sycophants that was in elected office. And she lost. And so the fact that this gentleman was there, it was a great experience canvassing and meeting all these people. But the person that stood out the most to me was this firefighter who I was speaking to for a great length when we were at the polls on Election Day. And he made it very clear that he supports a living wage. He supports universal health care. He supports protecting the environment. And he supports Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump like you can't believe. And so to me, what that tells me is get the labels the hell out of the way. Keep it specifically to the issues at bar. It will be amazing how many people will come on board. And the people that's who- why we can win if we focus locally. That's yes. right. And we can make an immediate change. I feel like right now we are constantly funneled. And you know, I worked for an organization trying to reshape Congress. I believed in that for like four years. But I came out of that realizing, and I'm not saying to throw away congressional races, I'm not saying to ignore them right. personally. But we have to start putting we are ignoring the left has been ignoring local seats, state houses, the Democratic Party. Like you had said, Nancy Pelosi came out in 2018 and she talked she talked about the throwaway states. Do you guys remember that speech? Yeah. Yeah. The freaking throwaway throwaway no, state. The middle of the country, it don't matter. It's, 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 and I ha- it I don't matter. A, I have a fundraising gig I have to get I, to. I, you cannot do But it's 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 emblematic of all and, and the truth is if ninety-four point five percent of congressional representatives get reelected every two years, it and the requirements at a minimum if you're going to have any shot at winning is a half a million dollars. And that is dependent upon where you are exactly. Because when you're in places like the Miami market, Chicago market, DC market, New York market, with rare exceptions, it takes even, even considerable more money than that. And then it comes down to whether or not you're a truly dynamic change agent type of a candidate that truly inspires a lot of people. Ken Mejia in LA was one of those candidates. And even though he couldn't break through into Congress, he's now the city comptroller of Los Angeles. And that's a pretty big deal. And he's under the Green Party banner on top of everything else. But that is a yeah. rare exception. We need to we need to figure out a way to get Matthew Ho somewhere. Matthew Ho is a great yeah. candidate. How do we do that? Like you know? Peter thinks he should run. Matthew for Ho, Ryan Kajatste. I don't know if you guys remember him. He ran and um, he actually worked in San Francisco. He actually ran against Pelosi the first time in uh, 2018 uh, when Shaw had first ran. He was running in the primary against him. But he was like Ryan is amazing. Young, an attorney, and he helped. uh, You guys may remember the guy's name in San Francisco who did away with the bail bond system. Oh, uh, you're talking about... um uh, Chess, uh, Chess, uh, Bodine. Chessa Bodine, yes, Chesa Bodine. Um, so he worked with Chesa Bodine to do away with the bail bond system. 
And so we need people like that, like like Shama, like Matthew Ho, like <laughs> others that have actually done stuff on the ground and got work done. Um, another great one is Rebecca, Rebecca Parson. Rebecca Parson. Oh, yeah. yeah. She did a ton of local work, um, local ballot initiatives, um, local state house work where she pushed the state house to um, to fund on that side of the state um, public transit, like to increase the rates of public transit and to potentially start a um, mass rail system there. A mass public rail system is in consideration because of uh, Rebecca Parson. She's kind of a badass. So there's all these badasses. Yeah. Maybe maybe Shama could reach out that's, to like, that's the whole point. That's our goal. That's what we try to do is make those connections and build the coalition and make sure that the web gets bigger and bigger. And I, I think there are a lot of people that are doing really cool things. And even people that didn't necessarily win you know, that are using that platform. Another person, another person who's solid, who's in Washington state is Jason Cole. I mean, oh, when yeah. you bring oh, yeah, I you love know, a number of those people that have the experience that may not have been elected into federal office, state office, et cetera, the ability to build out this coalition now. I mean, to me, if, if Kashama can accomplish anything, Shama, Shama sorry. It, I'm, I'm a white American. You're very, say. yeah. So if you're going to bring, if Shama's going to build this coalition and could build it very strong in Washington state, which is actually one of the most neoliberal states in the whole freaking country. Major, major income and disparity issues there. But what could happen True. with the result of bringing in the Jason Calls and the Rebecca Parsons and building this coalition, maybe they do have a fighting chance at Hull, Washington and passing a statewide universal health care single payer system. And everyone is going to say, well, you can't pay for it if you don't have federal backing. Well, the goal here is to at least get it to the point where it's going to become so pressured on Patty yes. Murray and everybody else that they're not going to have a choice because it's only going to take one domino that's going to fall. The New York Health Act, CalCare, Hull, Washington. These are the types of initiatives that if they're fought on, which no one gives a rat's rear end about their political party affiliation when it comes to whether or not no, we should really have for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. They have no reason to exist. I don't want to hear any arguments about how, well, it's government control. No, it's government funded healthcare numbnuts. That's what it is. It, it, the truth is I'm just done. I, 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 I don't debate can't, it anymore. Can't debate anybody I'm anymore. I'm so on this, done on with it. Front. I don't discuss Doesn't make any it. Sense. Just like Most I don't argue. people agree with it. Um, yeah. It's just how you frame it to them. I mean, I've talked to people that call themselves conservatives that by the time that I was off the phone with them, they agreed with me that, yeah, we need a tuition-free college and health care for all. It's all in how you talk about it. I agree. I don't want to wade into the state by state versus national, all that yeah, 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 <laughs> going yeah. on about healthcare. Cause I believe in both. Yes. I, I definitely see where people are coming from that say, yes, you know, let's help Washington get it. But I also know that there's been many of those dominoes that have fallen in states that did not turn into anything national. And I'm sitting here in Kentucky with like, 75% fewer rights than people in many of the states in the country. And you're in you're in Florida, so what's sad it's stop it's so gross. And what's sad is is that even though and we're in Florida and people look at that like, oh, it's red now, it's DeSantis, it's how you know, like sad for you. What's actually worse for us is the neoliberal blue bastion in which we are suffocated in Broward County. There has been that is a way bigger problem. I'm, I'm, I, I swear yeah. to you, 
Like our problem in this state. I'll scream it now from the rooftops until it is until it, it becomes reality. And that is until Wasserman Schultz goes, this will continue. Well, and he That's I don't even just say, OK, it isn't. My point is, is that the real issue is is not here is not that it's the Republicans. It's that there's no resistance. And even I hate though, that word. I, I love hate, the I word hate, resistance. I hate that word. Well, I don't care. I'm a Star Wars person. It's resistance. There's no hell raising. How about that? There's no, <laughs> there's, no there's nobody fighting. There's nobody doing anything. And and so that's the problem here. So our problem isn't the right. We don't even get that far. Just think of it this way. Think of 2024. Let's say a circumstance presents itself where Jen actually has a path to actually run against Wasserman Schultz and had a chance to win, because that's the only way it's worth doing. But if that were to be the case, and whoever the Democratic statewide nominee will be in 24, because there will only be one race, and that will be against Rick Scott, and you ask anyone with any logic behind them would say, would you rather have Debbie Wasserman Schultz or Jen Perlman going around the state of Florida, campaigning for whoever the hell it is that is the nominee, running against Rick Scott? Who is going to have a better opportunity to convert independent voters to vote for the Democratic nominee versus Rick Scott? It sure as shit ain't going to be Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So if you have any hope of transforming the dynamic within the third most populous state in the union now, in what used to be seemingly a circumstance where the state was competitive, <laughs> the Democrats were getting so caught up in this idea. That's <laughs> Debbie's got to go. Uh, if, if you would have looked at it, let's just say 20, I don't know, 2016, 2017, and saw where the party has completely blown it here, where they were able to convert Georgia now that Florida is a 30 electoral solid red state, you can kiss Georgia goodbye because that's going to their infrastructure is going to go so top heavy into that state. And it already has because they're going to turn Warnock, into West Virginia and they're just going to I mean, they've already they're already Warnock. Yeah. They're already pushing out Joe Manchin's, you know, they're already manufacturing the next uh, Washerman Schultz. I mean, this way. The same problem in, in, in Washington, we have the same problem in West Virginia when Paula was running both times. But well, go ahead. Well, no, you, you have at, a lot of problems. Yeah, in West I mean, Virginia. But if you look at Georgia as a prime example with what's going on in Cop City right now and knowing for a fact that if you elect representatives that are co-opted by the machine, which they are. John Ossoff and, and, and uh, Senator uh, Raphael Warnock, they might be very nice guys. They certainly seem to be. But you know what? They take a boatload of that corporate money. And when it comes to questioning the infrastructure of the capitalist, runaway, broken system that we have right now, they have not made a statement about Cop City, and they're not going to. Hell no, they're not. Not a word. They're not going to say anything about it. it we asked them. Yeah. We've asked them. Yeah. I have literally messaged both of them for status coup news and I haven't heard anything from them back. Yeah. And, and you, and you won't, you know, you won't. And that comes down to where, who funds them. That's who's that's, that's all about funding because people that don't have um, owners are more inclined to comment on things. So it's hard when you're owned to be able to comment on things. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. And yet and yet we're still infinitely better off than had Herschel Walker. Good God, people. But it should never have to come to that. No, well, it that, it's just silly. If we were living in a country that understood their their own power 
as Thomas Jefferson so brilliantly said, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. And if you have a situation where the government completely owns or, or is completely owned by corporate special interests, even if the most corporate friendly whore, which she is, in Marjorie Taylor Greene can occasionally throw a few lines out there about how I'm populist this on this one issue. I'm completely owned on the other 99. But I'm anti-war in Ukraine, but I want war with China and Iran tomorrow. China. You know? but, and, and so people are like, you see, she's against it. She's not against anything. She's, she's left of AOC. That's what I've been hearing this week. Left? Are you kidding me? I have so much to say Z, about Alex. And I honest. have, and I've been Me? vocal, but in Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't left of AOC. That's insanity. And you can't look at one issue in a vacuum because <laughs> there's interconnectivity, right? What does she want to defund the military to do? What do these people want to defund the military to do who forced the vote? Which, great, they forced the vote. It worked. Yes, we knew it worked because we did it in 2018. Already knew this would work. Mm -hmm. In 2018, 23 people voted against Pelosi. And many of the um, few of those handful of people that shouldn't be <laughs> were supposed to do things for us called the squad. Yes. <laughs> the the unsquad. They... Um, <laughs> They got all these committee seats because we threatened them to run Barbara Lee. Do you guys remember that? Yes. yes. Knew it worked. It worked in 20, it worked in 2018. People don't remember that. Like that's where this idea came from in the first place, but progressives had already done it. Um, so yeah, the tea party, they, they pushed the vote. That's great. You know, good for them. But what the hell did they ask for? People are saying like, I agree with this. I agree with this. I agree with cutting military funding. Read the second line to why they cut military funding. They want to cut military funding to send that uh, money to the border, to militarize our border, and to send people, to send DACA recipients back to their country and to bolster ICE to do it. That's the second caveat. The first is let's cut the military budget. The second is let's use this money to militarize our borders and 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 bolster ice so that we can round up DACA recipients and put them in concentration camps, essentially. See how much easier that it is. That second part matters. Yes, we should cut the military funding, but we should be there on the front lines if they do, and they want to send that money over there to fight against that. And if we're not saying both sides of that story, if we're not telling the full context, people are missing that, and they're just like, Marjorie Taylor Greene is an anti-war goddess. Right. You know, yes, that's what she is. She's I look at her and what, what comes to mind is pacifism. That's what comes to mind when I look at her like a, she is a piece of work. Let me say, oh, well, oh, yeah, I just wanted to come on here. It's very important that people make sure this weekend. Very important. There is a big show going on. Jen, good to see you. Hi, Zeno, uh, a real pleasure. You did a wonderful job at Brand New Congress. So I just want to come on here and let everybody know that this Saturday and Sunday from, I believe, 12 to 3 p.m. You're going to want to tune in to Status Coup News. They are doing this very big on-the-ground fundraiser. The people Ooh. that are going to be joining, my good friend Nina Turner will be there. Stephen Donzinger will be there. Um, are you going to be there? Well, I might make an appearance. You never know. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, come join us, Peter. <laughs> I don't know who Peter is, but, you know, I'm a little He's busy. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry. I told him you guys should have him come on and do like some of his characters. It is very important that we understand that what is going on 
in Georgia right now is an absolute devastation to the environment, to civil liberties. And we have a police state that must be dealt with. It is not good. So please, if you can, make sure that you tune in to Status Quo News on Saturday and Sunday. Zaina will be there too. It'll be great. And you'll learn a lot about all the terrible things, unfortunately, that are going on in the country right now. But we need on-the-ground reporting. It is very important. So make sure you get over there. Good to see you guys. And uh, hope you enjoy the show. Bye, Bernie. Go write the damn bill, Bernie. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish Bernie... There's a lot of things we wish Bernie It doesn't, you know what, I hate doing that because I feel like what you were saying very earlier is true. It isn't about one person. It's not supposed to be about one person. And instead of criticizing Bernie for what he hasn't done, I choose to look at the amount of stuff that he has done and where he has brought this to where it is. It was never his job to lead a revolution. His job, he took it as far as he took it, the end. That's what he did. Anybody else can jump in and join in and it shouldn't be just one person. It was never meant. He always said, not me, us. He wasn't kidding people. And I can't stand when people harp on him. It's like- and People uh, are desperate. Well, and that I appreciate, but he's the person who's done the most. He's the reason we're talking about universal health care. Yeah, like I, 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 do not, I do not take, uh, I mean, when he says my good friend Joe. Yeah, well, that's, that's annoying. It's that annoying. I, again, I he know. at least was, and especially his campaign in 2016, yes. no one can ever take away from how hard he fought, what he was willing to put up with, the lengths that Debbie and the Clintons and all of them went to cheat him out of the nomination. Hillary Clinton would have been president if it was a fair primary. That's the bottom line. You could say whatever the hell you want. You can complain. You can blame progressives. That was a stolen primary, if there ever was one. And you well, paid yeah. twice. And Little Miss Debbie had a lot to do with that. She certainly did. And There still has not been, as far as I'm concerned, no. There's been no real accountability for that. I mean, what happened? So she left that position and then went right into Hillary's campaign. And yeah, granted, I, she had delusions of maybe being secretary of state or something. That's what I think. She had delusions of some sort of cabinet appointment. Like I can't well, imagine what would be. The party doesn't work. And it doesn't work because there is no accountability. If yeah. we replicate this with a party or we replicate with a movement or we try to build something our own on the left, one thing that we do have to have is accountability. Yeah. We have to have some basic human principles. That's why I said I'm not going to stand on the stage. Even if David Duke supports Medicare for all, I'm not rallying with him. But you no, see, you don't. I, I, but as a leader, say, as the face for Medicare for all, no. No, you need to go back and, and you need to fix your other humanitarian, humanitarian problems that, that, that a, you are, you know. But, but that's a non-starter because David Duke is not somebody that I would ever associate with or would take seriously. It's, it's no different than, you know, somebody like a Ben Shapiro. Their intent oh, is God. not to actually make things better. Stephen Crowder is even worse because for them, this is all about a career, a very lucrative career. Or a Marjorie Taylor Greene. Exactly. Or these representatives that are the same way. I think that there are opportunities to work together, especially on the left. But it's so strange because I see this cancel culture on the left where it's like, oh, my God, you posted a video from the humanist report. So right. now you are no longer a leftist and you're forever canceled. Right. But then it's like it's like somebody goes on Tucker Carlson, doesn't challenge him. And then it's like, oh, you know, this person is still a true leftist or they come out and they'll say something anti-trans or they'll like skirt around with, 
you know, they'll, they'll, yeah, like Thomas says, they'll work with the, the, the Mrs. Caucus who have been like, they're horrible. They're basically, they are Christian fascist white nationalist. That's what the Mrs. That's what the Mises Caucus Listen, is. listen, as far as I'm concerned, you have to subscribe to the Daily Wire. It's a really great channel. Oh. I've been running it for a number of years. <laughs> Believe me, we do a lot of great content and all these complaining people who have no understanding whatsoever about how the country works and how it operates. You are just complaining. You haven't had a good job and that's your problem. It's not my problem and it's not anybody else's problem. The Daily Wire knows exactly what they're doing and you should just subscribe to our channel. You Steven know Crowder missed you out on the You smart to be Ben Shapiro. You need to dumb that down well, a little bit. Well, that's why he talks so fast. Ben talks that fast because people, it, it's like it makes him sound smarter. I talk that fast because my brain operates at a much higher functional level than everybody else's uh. does. Whenever I speak, it's the theories of grandeur. Everyone wants to hear it. It's really great. Incredibly yeah, no, pointed stuff. Terrible. He's terrible. He is the embodiment in many ways of that guy that you go to school with who couldn't put any muscle on, didn't have a girlfriend, didn't wasn't popular. Clearly, he doesn't know what wet pussy is. So clearly he's got some issues. I'm just saying. And very much like a lot of other, you know, men that are highly functioning in certain respects, whether it is academically uh, economically, uh, Sheldon Adelson was a great example of that. Even somebody like Elon Musk and especially somebody like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, when they get that power, they wield it like an ax. They want to get back at everybody that either fended them, made them feel less of a man. That's why Ben gets very like, you know, triggered and wired when somebody talks about his masculinity. Like, how masculine am I? It's All like, right, let's talk about masculinity. Well, I don't know. Go ahead, Jen, but I, I have something to say about that. About Ben Shapiro, please do. Well, my thoughts on him are the same as my thoughts on all guys like that, whether muscly and masculine or not, or whether squirrely, you know, and in the books. I It's a class issue for me. He's a spoiled little rich kid that feels entitled to everything. And at the end of the day, whether they were, you know, pop collar, you know, frat boys that were, that are, you know, outspoken and red pilled, they're all, it's all the same entitled. Wow. That's where I I agree. I'm just saying that that guy is, that guy is Steven Crowder. Like he is that guy. And they're equally as annoying. The point is, is that yeah. it's irrelevant. Jackson Hinkle. Like, Jackson Hinkle is- He's trying hard to be that guy. I don't know if he is that guy, but that's the whole persona. I think that these are more just characters and it's, it's to some extent, it's a, it's their, it's their stick. Yeah, that's they're their acting. Stick. And if you want, and if you want to criticize Jimmy for one thing in particular, it's one thing if you have- you know, your own content, which can be heavily criticized. What he does that is a big problem is he brings along these sycophants, these people who have no intention to help the movement whatsoever, only to help themselves. Jackson's probably the best example out of all of them, where if you bow at the altar of Mr. Door, I will give you the time of day and I will allow you my million plus subscribers to hear your message. And the next thing you know, your Patreon of $500 a month will turn into $5,000 a month. And then you have a career and now you can build off of it, but you must be loyal to what I say. If you are not, I will cut you up at the knees and make you disappear. 
So the God complex is very strong with that one. And oh God, yeah, that's, that's actually, that. that's all accurate. I, I can't, I can't disagree because I see it and I see if I have a legitimate criticism, sometimes he'll come on and retweet it and troll those criticisms from small accounts, even like mine, like 2000 followers. I saw the other day, it was like somebody who had like 150 followers mm-hmm. and then they got harassed by hundreds of people after they just posted one legit criticism about just facts. And I'm like, this is not healthy. This is like the bully pylon complex. And, you know, I don't blame Jimmy for the way his audience acts unless he promotes it and is doing it. And that's what I see happening, because sometimes you can't always control the way that the people who follow you behave. Right. But you can. It's like a mini Trump. It's a mini Trump. You're basically just fueling up a base to keep yourself and to keep your sort of carnival salesman, snake oil carnival system going. And I and I take it back. And and I take it back. The worst person that Jimmy promotes is not Jackson Hinkle. It is Nick Bronner. And the reason I say it's Nick more than anybody else is because Jackson clearly is doing this for a grift. Nick is still trying to convince people that the People's Party is something, that it's going somewhere, that it's actually fighting the good fight. And Jimmy keeps bringing him on and promoting it. That is well, the is it worst. Funded? Wasn't that party funded a lot by Jimmy? Wasn't it, he like a big yeah. donor? Yeah, I don't think he donated as much as they him and Nick are just really good friends and they share each other's content. They boost each other. And then Nick comes up with these these outrageous grifts like this anti-war rally. This is not an anti-war rally. I don't know how much I can say this. I hate to speak out against organizing. I never like to do it. But. This is the Libertarian Party, now the Mrs. Caucus, basically, because they kicked everyone out. The chair of the Mrs. Caucus, who is now the chair of the Libertarian Party, and the chair of the People's Party, Nick Brana, got together. And they said, people are terrified that we're about to have a nuclear war, which we are. We're scared to death. So they said, let's have a rally and let's invite all these people and let's make this list of demands and then let's fundraise off of it. And then what? Nothing. Nothing. That's Money. the point. Let's it see just how many keeps... more people we can convince that this cycle can continue. That's the point. It's just a self thing. It's like what happens to NGOs when they start out with the best intentions. But the point you get to where you've got basically other interest holders, you exist to make your payroll more so than you exist to serve your mission. And you just basically become a cog in this machine. And it, you're, it, so it's many no NGOs. When the initial stage of the People's Party happened, and everyone was there, including Dr. West, Chris Hedges, Nina, all of them. There was something there. Yeah. But as soon as I saw who was basically overseeing it, I said, no, this is going to fail. And it was just a question of when. And it happened, pr- frankly, a lot sooner than I thought it would. Uh, thought maybe they could have convinced somebody through an election cycle to at least try to run or maybe see if they could get anything out of it. But the truth is, the direction, the, the misdirection for so long of the movement has a lot to do with opportunism that doesn't see the, the long-term picture. And the long-term picture has to be this labor movement that we have to cultivate. 
Yes. Led and by the people and by not the people. by the personalities. No. We have got to start galvanizing around the policies. Do you guys remember? Because I do. When we first started fighting, because Jen, even before you were running, um, the first I heard of you was when you were working for, oh, you knew Zine, you knew, you knew my friend. I Zinia. knew Zen from, from, yeah, from Tim's the, campaign. From Tim's that's campaign. the first time I, Tim Canova's campaign. That's the first yeah. time I met you like a long time ago on a call for Tim Canova awesome we were talking about doing organizing through his campaign for abolish ice yeah and um against the dhs and the abolishment of the dhs and and how we were going to message that you know and teach people that these are new organizations written by the patriot act at that time we weren't focused on a face it wasn't even bernie's face it was a policy now think about the green new deal before it became aoc's kind of face on it right People were supporting it before that with all these candidates running across the country. You were one of them with the with the Green New Deal as their platform. It was getting national traction before she ever went to Pelosi's office. That helped to blow it up, but it was already getting speed. Medicare for all. Medicare for all. We didn't have one face to it. Brand new Congress and Justice Democrats. I organized the very first conference ever working with Nurses United and PNHP, which is the physicians um, unions, in order to um, start promoting Medicare for all. Well, the day I was in D.C., um, and uh, David Weigel was the only one that covered it and David Moran or Daniel Moran's from The Guardian and David Weigel covered it. But we had a press conference with, I think, Ro Khanna back then, which Ro got issues with. But mm -hmm. and um, John Conyers, who had tried to get Medicare for all passed, like for the last two decades, basically. Right. So we were we were doing a press conference. And I remember that day we went on the ground and it was when they were having the vote um, to save the ACA vote. You guys remember that with the up and down John McCain vote? Right. So we were protesting for Medicare for all out in front of the um out in front of the Capitol building and people from moveon.org and from these other organizations were throwing spitballs at us, throwing stuff at us, telling us to get out of there, how we were going to destroy healthcare by standing up for Medicare for all. But people started getting behind it because it was a policy. So I feel like, and then once Bernie's face got slapped on Medicare for all, it kind of started to deflate a little bit instead of expanding because everyone was pointing to him to get it done and him alone. Right. Right. That's my that's my point. Sorry, you know, we, we, no, we need to be. I mean, but we can thank him for bringing it to the, because he definitely made it be. It was such a foundation of his campaign that everybody who was behind him, whether or not that was their primary issue in the first place, they now are on that mission as well. Like it definitely right. brought a lot of people into that into that mission. Um, but I agree. This is a mission problem. This isn't, this should not be a cult of personality. I don't care about your relational issues. And I think that, you know, that's what we have to be focusing on for sure. And I'm willing to work with people on a per issue basis. If you and I agree on something, we can work together on that issue. That doesn't mean that I support everything you say and do. And one of the biggest problems I find on the left, the criticisms that I will get from people is, oh, you had so-and-so on your show. So you're an X, Y, and Z, like what you're saying. And it's like these people really would prefer you just live in your little bubble and in your echo chamber. And I, I can't help but think that how unproductive that would be. 
And so I will tell you to work with the right wing in the Libertarian Party and to ignore racism. And well, so that I don't do. But I went on like I went on the Michael Knowles show. Okay, so I went on this show and I'm still me. Right. Like I'm going to say what I'm going to say. It's not like I'm talking different to a different audience. How could me being me promoting whatever message I'm promoting, reaching new people, not be a good thing? Like in yep. what universe would that not be a good thing? You have thing. to cross over with the same. It's different if you're a chameleon. Like if you're, you know, that's a whole different We've thing. We've probably got anywhere from yeah. 500 to 1,000. I mean, listen, we're the Small But Mighty podcast. We're it always seems to do good work. But, you know, at 8,000 subscribers, I would say probably 500 to 1,000 of those subscribers are a direct result of Jen going on with Tim Pool. And even though a large portion of his audience obviously falls within that libertarian, even Mises caucus type of mindset, you know, of the 50, 60,000 live viewers, and there were a half a million people. I remember it was a very big deal when she went on. And even if only 10% of that audience is like, I really like what Jen has to say. That is five to potentially 10,000 people who just heard a new message of, You know what? If the left was like Jen Perlman, I can get behind. Well, and I think it's also in the delivery. And when you can connect with people and I can connect with anybody, right? Like I really can, because I'm not speaking. It's if you're telling your truth and you're basing it on reason, it's amazing how that will resonate with people. And and even if they don't agree with you, I have a lot of people. We have people on in our chat that I know don't agree with me on issues, but they just like me. That actually is a thing. Flip that flip that all the way around to the other side of the spectrum. And one of the biggest supporters, and I mean the biggest supporters in the so in, in the, the independent media space is Vosh. I mean, he loves her. And, has and I get gone, crap. I get you know, crap because I've cross-pollinated with him, but I like him. You know, this reminds me of junior high school. <laughs> and I really, it's like, even when I was in junior high school, I would be friends with who I wanted to. I didn't give a shit what anybody would say then. I feel even more so now. I'm going to affiliate with who I want to affiliate with. I'm still who I am. I can affiliate with somebody without absorbing their personality and all of their political beliefs. I think that there's a difference between going on someone's show or supporting an initiative and promoting an initiative that is fundraising money for something bad. I keep going back to this war, you know, this war rally. I see people promoting it and say, giving money, give money to this and stuff that I don't agree with. I think those are two different things. Like I have been on Fox News before and I would go back because I'm not going to kiss their ass. If I went on Tucker Carlson, I would tell him exactly what I think. Um, And I may not even let him like lead the. um, Sorry, I saw someone talking about Asperger's in the chat and I, I have that it totally like I was like, <laughs> I'm on the spectrum. I was diagnosed. Well, back then it was diagnosed as Asperger's, but right. now we use that term any longer. But um, I, I see that there's two different there's two different things. There's talking with people and then there is hiding and obfuscating the negatives that they do in order to pander to an audience. Correct. Both of those, because we were talking about Jimmy Dore earlier. I feel like Jimmy Dore purposely obfuscates to pander to an audience. Um, Now I would go on Jimmy Dore's show and I'd confront him about things, um, but I'm not going and I don't support him, but I would still go on there as long as I can be myself. And I wouldn't be, but if it's pre-recorded and I know it's someone who's disingenuous, genuineness, 
disingenuous. 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 It is going to like slice up what I say. I may not. You know, so there's a lot of nuance to this. I, I see the thing. You know, and the worst yeah. part. It's a, complicated yeah. and you just have to, like, for me, I feel like at my age and my life experience, I trust my judgment and I really don't care if other people do or don't. Like, I know who I am. I know that where I go, I'm still that same person. I didn't talk about whatever you want to talk about. I don't absorb or endorse or anything of any one person just because I discuss with them or have them on my show. In fact, I think it's important to talk to people that I don't agree with. The reason why you know most of it is all BS is because the best interview I ever saw on Fox News, bar none, was Chris Smalls with Tucker Carlson. That was great. That was the best thing I ever saw. And even though Tucker's intention was more or less to get him on to bash AOC for leaving the Amazon workers high and dry, by the end of the conversation, and knowing Chris, because Chris is as book smart as he is street smart. He may not look it to a lot of people, but he knows his shit inside and out. And by he the looks time to me, he's yep. he's a, he's got the drip, man. He's, he's no, a, he's awesome. He wasn't having Tucker. By the time the conversation was over, he actually got Tucker to say, "Listen, I am not a supporter of unions." but I can definitely agree that labor needs more power in this country. And I'm like, my God, you got Tucker Carlson to say that labor needs more power. That's, that is an A plus, 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 plus. And that whole audience that he reached, you know, now I of course yeah. believe they'll never have him back after they that. They may not, but he made his impact. He yes. did what he needed to do. Whereas Jimmy just wants to go on there and say, how many, how many other suckers can I bring over to my site well, to become Patreon and clicks and all that? It's a livelihood. It is. It's a livelihood. And, and it's a good one. But yeah, so it's a very good one. Well, to me, it's the same for the people that are those commentators as it is for the people in Congress. We need people to do this job without worrying about keeping this job. Yeah. We exactly. need, I was about to say that, Jen. <laughs> you know what I mean? We need that mentality yeah. that people are doing it not for the purpose of keeping the job, whether that's a Congress job or a TV, you know, a content creator job. It's, I can't remember anything that Jimmy ever said on Tucker Carlson's show. But I will always remember what Chris Small said and what Tucker said in response. And that is seared into my brain and it should be seared into everybody else's brain. And that the same would be true if somebody was on Capitol Hill, let's say somebody like Jen was there and said, we are going to have a floor vote on Medicare for all if it kills me. And I don't care how many of you are going to stand here with me. I don't care if it's you, Ro, if it's you, Alex, if it's you, Corey, if it's you, Rashida. I don't care if you're going to stand there with me. I'll do this by myself if I have I to. I love how he talks for me. But my God, somebody's got to <laughs> do this. I just and know that, that, well, I just, I just know that until somebody takes the job without the need to keep the job, it's only when that happens that they can be effective in that job. And or without that, and care to keep the job. Because the funny thing is, is almost everyone who's in the House doesn't have the need to keep the job or in the Senate. They were independently wealthy before they ever got their asses up there. Right. right. It's more well, there's other motivations. When people say it's the money, I'm like, are you kidding no, me? No, it's not it the money. It's being part of the, it's being in the club. It's the, the power. Club. It's the power and being, yeah. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, you have, we, it's ironic, but the people we need are people that don't want power to have the positions of power. And, yeah. you know, it, it's true. And one thing I remember very well about Wasserman Schultz when she was a main fixture within the party infrastructure, there was never a time where if the camera was calling that she wouldn't make an appearance on CNN, on MSNBC. And 
that's that is the that something as simple as who I'm going to have my close up on national television. I can't wait to do that. And that's just one little thing in the grand in the grand scheme of things. Let's not forget how intoxicating it is to be on the hill and be privy to inside information that people can't oh, yeah. understand. People think that they have any idea just on the surface what these people trade inside information on. Kirsten Cinema probably has an account in the Caymans that is so fat at this point it's it's about to explode. Like that's that. So let's is, talk about the legislation thing. Okay, so this will be where we close the conversation. So as we know, today was a big deal. And of course, there's a major loophole in the po- in the policy, but it's a start. You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. Senator Josh Hawley, of course, has decided to bring a bill to the floor of the House that is called the Pelosi Act. And I think that is very appropriately named because the Democrats had every opportunity uh, to actually get this thing up for a vote. Pelosi, of course, refused. She has been trading on inside information for probably decades. She wouldn't even... Like, if this is not something that she would have even considered. Holly introduces Pelosi Act banning lawmakers from trading stocks. Senator I love that Josh Holly has introduced a bill that will ban con- members of Congress from trading and owning stocks using the same legislation to take a jab at Representative Pelosi. Who gives a shit? I love that it's called the Pelosi Act. I love that. And I, I love watching the tr- and I love watching the blue MAGA sycophants have to, you know, basically say, "You're so rude." I'm like, no, Nancy Pelosi has looted. The Treasury, as far as I'm concerned. And she wonders why people break into her. Only on Tuesday introduced the Pelosi Act or the. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, the hell with it. Oh. Or the Preventing Election, like Elected Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments Act. That's Perfect. awesome. Perfect name. Renew Credit to you, Holly. And Josh Holly <laughs> is going to run for president. It's just a matter of when. And Renewing I don't like elected, him. No, I don't like God, him. He's, he's, a, he's a spoiled rich kid. Who ended up getting on? Okay, he was in Isn't a. Isn't he a Trumpy? He was a, he was a yeah, and a hedge fund and yeah, all that and blah 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 blah. <laughs> uh, legislative uh, push to curtail stock trading by lawmakers that has failed over the last few years. Members of Congress and their spouses shouldn't be using their position to get rich on the stock market. What a novel thought! The GOP senator previously introduced legislation last year seeking to ban lawmakers and their spouses from holding stocks or making new transactions while in office. The Hill has reached out to Pelosi's office for comment. Of course, there was none. Holly, like a number of other Republicans, has focused on the former speaker and her family in pushing to ban stock trading by members of Congress. Last sold millions of dollars worth of shares of a computer chip maker as the House prepared to vote on a bill focused on domestic chip manufacturing. Spokesman for Pelosi said at the time that he sold the shares at a loss. Which is a lot of interest in legislation barring stock trades after then Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, who at the time was the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, unloaded stocks at the offset of the coronavirus pandemic. I believe Richard Burr ended up making about five or six million dollars at the time on that sale. The SEC recently closed a probe on his trading activities without taking action. Shocking. Uh, remember, you can screw working people. You can't screw the rich. rich. If you screw the rich, you'll end up like Bernie Madoff. Then you get in trouble. Lawmakers have yet to be able to come up with a plan that garners enough support from both sides of the aisle to get a bill through Congress. Democrats in 2022 scrapped, uh, scraped a plan to vote on such legislation before the midterm elections, even after Pelosi reversed course and expressed openness to colleagues voting for stuff. When when did she express open. I don't want to hear about expressing openness. That's not a thing. Along with Holly's bill, a bipartisan duo in the House is a 
bill. This year on the topic, Representatives Abigail Spanberger, one of the biggest neoliberals in all of Democratic Party politics, and Chip Roy, as MAGA Republican as you can get, introduced the Trust in Congress Act this month, making the third, marking the third time the pair have introduced the legislation. Yeah, now, but that doesn't have as good of an anagram as the Pelosi Act. I want the Pelosi, like she wants, look, she wants some a federal building named after her. Oh, I, I would so much prefer to have a nice piece of legislation named after her. You know that, right? That she allocated X amount of money in the omnibus bill for her federal building in San Francisco. And it's called the Speaker Pelosi Building. Did you know this? No, that's gross. These people, I'm telling you, I love the name of the bill. The only thing that I see, I do see one thing. And Republicans are so good at this. Keep an eye out for this and keep an eye out for the other bills that it's going to be covering up. Oh, yeah. Because and Democrats are great at it, too. Don't get me wrong. Both parties are like legit oh. good at this they're they're so they're so shitty they'll like bring out some good bill and dangle it like oh we're saying to stop trading stocks and then you look and they're doing something insane on the back end so yeah. while they're doing this and they've named it the pelosi act which i love and they're doing some of this theater because i don't think this will get passed even though it damn well right. should yeah um i would also look at what here's the shiny thing what are they doing over here and Democrats do it, too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. They suck. But uh, but Republicans have a special skill skill at the beginning of the session of re um, rolling out some bill with some kind of name like this. That's really flashy. And then passing some really horrible piece of legislation. underneath. Oh, I don't think anything good will come. Yeah, yeah, nothing good will come of this. I don't think they're actually going to pass anything meaningful. And yes, I think they'll use every opportunity to pass things that are more intrusive and take away our rights because that's what people do. You had this guy. Uh, it doesn't matter what his but name is. Funny. It just matters that he's, you know, he's it's one hilarious. of those. Yeah, it's one of those Democratic, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, the people that basically roam the streets of D.C. and they're just sycophants for the Democratic establishment. And so this person is like, yeah, well, uh, the Republicans are worse at the stock trading. It's like, who gives a rat's ass who's worse? It shouldn't be allowed. It's just, they're worse. It's like, shit. It's they, like, you're so mad. Yeah, you know, I know Pelosi insider trades, but let me tell you about the Republicans who do it, too. They're worse. It, Here's, here's the bottom line. There is a clause in the bill that basically allows for blind trusts. If you're going to have that, then there is no point in having this bill. Get the blind trust clause out of the bill, which we all know they're not going to talk about, but we will, and status quo will, and hopefully others will too, that if you do not remove the blind trust clause within the bill, then there is no point in passing this because that will be the loophole that will allow them to continue to do insider trading and put everything offshore. That's the goal. It always will be. Either you're going to stop the corruption or you're right. not. Well, but look, kudos to the Republicans for capitalizing on the opportunity to make it look like they give a crap. Um, and, and this is, look, this is, it's theater. It it's is. all theater. And it's, the you know, the Democrats do it with their things too, where we know you don't actually mean that, but you're just saying that because it looks a certain way. It's and all what silly. this tells us is even they know what's popular. Yeah. And war is popular. Um, um, you know, reigning in corruption with Congress is popular. Um, but it won't make you rich. 
you know, healthcare is popular among the workers. So they, they, they will pageantry the stuff that, that is important to us. So that gives me some confidence in some ways because they've got the back end polling. They got the knowledge. And what we can say is we know the public is here. The public wants this to happen. We all know that. So then that takes it back full circles to what we were talking about before. How can we use this? in part to help build the labor movement. Are there other ways if they're not going to pass the legislation? Are there other ways that we can prevent the insider trading? Um, certain, certain, like, can we push to um, pressure and do boycotts on companies that um, Congress are trading with until they stop trading with Congress? If there like, are there other problem. creative ways to just tackle it? I mean, that's just one idea. Because I feel like we're so honed in on this bill has to be passed at the federal level by Congress for us to do something. I feel like in a lot of the global South countries and a lot of the countries, like think about the yellow vest movement, for instance, they got things done in more creative ways. Yeah. So I feel like we have to get, we have to start doing like economic boycotts. We got to make these people uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I think none of them should get a moment of peace. That's a cute, that's a cute Gucci. Yeah. Look at that. I don't think they should get a moment of peace. I think when they're out in public, they think they should constantly be heckled. I think we should follow them into the bathrooms in public. I have no problem with any of that. And I do think we need to get, no, it's true. I think that if you're you're Brett Kavanaugh and you're out eating in public, you, you should not have that moment of peace in your life. And, and these are people that whether it's appointed or elected are there for the public good. And if you are not serving at the public good, then you should not be able to, you need to not hear the end of it. So I agree. I think, and what you're talking about is essentially doing it on a, for corporations on the, I agree totally, but you know, the, these people are so focused on, you know, well, that's just not polite. And I'm so, I'm like, we're so far past that where I'll tell Kirsten Sinema, I'll climb up on the toilet and look over the stall at your ass. Like, honestly, this is ridiculous. You don't deserve that, right? I would like to try for three years, us turning all of our focus, I mean, not completely ignoring electoral politics, but right. let's say for three years, two to three years, we focus on ways to combat the corporations yeah. because the corporations are the ones that are pulling the strings of Congress. So we're going to like Congress or we're going to like, you know, the federal government, but we're not going the step above to the people who have all the money and that are pulling the strings and that are doing it. Yeah. Instead so- of begging these people that we voted for that aren't going to do anything anyway. But I wonder, you know, it's just throwing this out, this out there for people to brainstorm. What are some ways that we can raise hell economically against these corporations? And part of that is labor movements. Part of that is disrupting yeah. the labor system by not showing up to work, by, by you know, by protesting, by building unions. Um, what are some other economic boycotts that we could do? Um, someone mentioned the other day how not buying gas for two days because of the pandemic um, nearly crashed um, the market. So our gas prices went down two dollars per gallon just two days. Yeah, right. Well, the yeah. whole the, the economy is built on a house of cards. Yeah. It doesn't have a foundation a anymore. We do not make anything here anymore. Everything Weapons. has been outsourced. Weapons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we have a we have a we have a managerial class. We have a non-tangible economy that doesn't create things. You know, we have 
stock traders and hedge funders and things that do not actually do anything. We do not manufacture in the United States in states like Kentucky, West Virginia, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana the way that we used to, because it became far more lucrative to not pay workers a living wage, outsource to countries that pay a slave wage, and get rich. Also, it transports the pollution to those places. And in case anybody needs a reminder of no, who's responsible. No, oh, okay, for we that. know who's responsible. Well, we know one of the major responsible parties for this. I just wanted to come on here and let everybody know that I got filthy, stinking rich as yeah. a result of NAFTA, normal trade relations with China. We're familiar. The crime bill obviously helped a lot. Yeah. Uh, the Telecom those, Act of Those for-profit prison investments were, were really smart. But the oh, AUMF, thank you for the AUMF, Bill Clinton. We, we, we love that. The coup de grace, without question, was repealing Glass-Steagall and just flooding my pockets with all kinds of money. Listen, we came really close to getting Hillary in there. Could you imagine if no. she was president? Uh, no, I can't. And no, that would not have been better. If anybody needs a reminder of just how crappy this country is right now, <laughs> you're looking at the reason. Yeah, baby. thank you. I definitely had a lot to do with it. And uh, some people still think that the Democratic Party actually represents workers. That's kind of amazing. I, could you imagine a generation later and they still think <laughs> we actually are there to help them? No. Oh, God. You should be in prison. Uh, there is no such thing as prison for yeah. the guy who made all the prisons. I know. Possible. Actually, this was my idea, uh, Zaina. This was my idea. Yeah. So, you know, I'm pretty anti-for-profit prison. But this was my this is my willing to negotiate with corporatists. I'll give you for-profit prisons. But but. They have to you have to get rid of all the nonviolent people and bring in all the um, big pharma and the Wall Street people. And if you put them and all those people in there, I'm actually okay with profiting on it. So I feel like I'm willing to throw the bone of having a for-profit prison industry as long as we're incarcerating the correct people. (laughs) I like this plan. That's my my compromise. Be capitalist on it. Well, you're kind of making it sound like you actually want to help people that need help and help and and take take down the people that have been taken. I just know that I'd rather people like you be in prison and I'd rather be surrounded with all of the nonviolent drug people and all the people that are in prison for crimes of poverty. I know that I would prefer for them laws. free and and you incarcerated. I just want I know everyone that. out there to understand that. That's my thoughts. I am the person. It's all possible. Right? You will never, ever get anywhere. That's my nod home. to capitalism, by the way. And for every one of you out there who have voted for me over the years. I did, who have supported the Clintons and have supported neoliberalism here uh, in America. I'm who supported so centrism. Who supported Hillary over Bernie. Who supported uh. Joe over Bernie. Thank you for being a bunch of suckers and making my life extremely easy. You couldn't have made it much easier. But I'll tell you, there's a reason why it's so simple. You know why? Because I did a poll not too long ago regarding different uh, levels of the political spectrum in terms of trust in corporate media. Independents trust corporate media about 15 percent. Republicans trust it a little less than 20 percent. Democrats trust corporate media almost 80 <laughs> percent. Oh, is that real? That's a real uh, poll. I, listen, there's a reason why people believe what I say. Oh, so think about really, it. It makes sense, though. And we're, again, we're still yeah. talking about a small percentage of people. Most people are not affiliated with the party. So you're already narrowing down That's that wrong. audience to begin with. But yes, it does make sense. And if you think about what the mainstream media is, 
and who supports it. That's true. Sure they vote in the primaries. And, yeah. You know, the sad truth is, is that liberals act like they care. But, you know, there's an old saying, not in my backyard. Well, they like to act like they care. But when push comes to shove, they're just as pro-capitalist as any yes. Republican you'll ever find. Uh, they're and, also the ones calling the police at the dog park when they oh, see absolutely. Well, hey, listen, that's the beauty of the crime bill. We put a cop on every corner and every Tom, Dick and Harry that lives in the suburbs now feels safe at night. Yeah, that's how but we of feel. Of course, everyone else has to pay. But did you hear Biden said that that was a success, that the crime bill actually helped people? Yeah, well, let's be honest. Joe doesn't it helped know a him. lot of people make a lot of profit on a couple generations of black people. That's yeah, what but it the is. Truth is. Joe doesn't know his, you know, one side from the other at this point. He'll just say whatever he thinks will make him sound good. It's not like there's much to it anymore. <laughs> but I just want to come on and remind everybody, don't ever forget why you're in the situation we know. you are today. And as I sit back on my palatial mansion and all the wonderful things I've done in my life, including all the wonderful conquests I've had and the, the books I've written, the speeches I've gave and all right, wrap it the up. people who just keep believing what I'm saying is great. You're your gold-plated gold saxophones. Uh, I've also been to some uh, pretty noted islands and uh, was able to get away with never being caught there. So remember, I did not actually have anything to do with the disappearance of anybody. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Yeah. So there you go. He's it, probably my best. He's so lechy. Right he's so good. You guys have some big names that drop in for cameos. Mm. Right? I know. We got others, but we'll only get to today. Yeah. Z, how can people find your work? Anything that you're doing if they want to. Yeah, what is Check your job? I'm, like, what are you? Are you a, are you doing a regular segment? Like, what, how is that working with you with Status Quo? Um, should be on at random times, <laughs> but Mondays and Tuesdays, um, I'll mostly be co-hosting, uh, with Jordan, um, on those days, be doing some, uh, Substack articles too. Um, I also have Bullhorn Bulletin news on Substack. That's my personal channel. I haven't done in, and also on YouTube, haven't done as much stuff there because I have been starting at status coup and winding down from the holidays, but I will be doing a relaunch with Bullhorn Bulletin news pretty soon. And that's, uh, just going to be kind of a side project, but with Status Coup, you can find me on there on Mondays and Tuesdays at 5 p.m. We have on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. the amazing Kim Brown from Black Power Media. She's a I badass. Her. I dig her. I actually, the first clip I saw that Jordan had posted of her, I texted him. I text. I was in the middle of the clip and I texted him like, I like this girl. She's great. Like that was like, you know, yeah, for sure. And she's always, she covers um, issues of, you know, women of color, um, domestic violence. She'll co cover police violence. So a lot of the social, social and economic issues that are often not talked about. We have the amazing and wonderful, badass Tina Desiree Berg. Um, she was just on the ground. We've done a lot of coverage on Stop Cop City. Um, we were on the ground for the protest this weekend. Tina was running toward the fire instead of away from it. Pretty wild mm. stuff. Um, so we have several videos on Status Coup's um, YouTube channel, S-T-A-T-U-S-C-O-U-P. 
You guys can check that out. We also have Steve Grumbine um, on Fridays and occasionally on Sundays. And uh, Steve is amazing. He can teach you about MMT and he's an economics guru and he's all around just a smart dude. We also have uh, Ron Placone and Ron Placone. Uh, you guys go check out, uh, look him up online because he actually has a um, a live uh, stand up this weekend. I think he's showing a documentary that he's doing. Very cool. uh, some folks might want to go to that, but I had to give everyone a shout out because I love them. And also Colin on the back end. I love you too, but that's our, that's our lineup uh, for status quo. And I'm just working on the background, helping promote them. And this weekend as as uh, you had mentioned, we do have uh, several people coming on from Olamia Lauren. I love her so much. Um, and then we, we have uh, Chris Small, Stephen Donziger, Nina Turner, several people coming on this weekend. So come check that out and uh, support. Thank you guys so much. And, and uh, like subscribe uh, to Generational Change because they are always doing actions, organizing, talking about important things and bringing uh, people on that are often not talked to so, or talk. We you know, try. We try. We wish we had a bigger platform. You know what I mean? Like we, the people we bring on, it's amazing to me that more, well, you know, you know this and Jordan knows this. It's frustrating because there's so many important stories and there's so not the big platforms that don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's very frustrating. So we scream as loud as we can, but we are small, but you know, mighty. small, but mighty. That's what I say. We're small, but small, but mighty. <laughs> Either they're covering what's happening in the mainstream news or it's in the left spaces. They're just arguing about each other. Yeah. <laughs> arguing about each other. And we're trying to <laughs> circumvent all of that. We're trying to actually, yeah. That's what I find too, that the left just sits there and talks about other content Hey, listen, creators. we're not going to name them, but there, no. is a, there is a content creator that basically their whole shtick is basically just to talk about others. And it's kind of where it's, it's, it's running, like talk it's, soup. it's running its course. They're it's like the it's, talk it's running soup. Its course. They're the talk soup so. of the left independent media. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> you know, eventually the gossip is going to come back to you and eventually going to piss off too many people. And that will ultimately be the end of it. What we're trying to do is obviously make the real change as are you. Thank we are you. Very Tina. grateful for you coming on z and of course i had so much fun weekend. talking yeah. <laughs> in here my friend good to see you bye, bye guys Always eric we have looked at rumble we're not we haven't subscribed or committed to it but we have looked at that and i'm also investigating um doing a sub stack yes i think a sub stack would be good for us yeah that could probably help i would say that that could help you know and i uh, and because for me in some cases it's a lot easier for me to come up with like more written content as well. Well, as we all know, the conversation with Zena could go on for hours and hours. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. This show went a lot longer than one would have expected, but certainly was worth it. And I'm hungry. Hope you guys, obviously I am. You're always hungry, but I'm hungry and I need to go in and eat now. On Monday night. We will now we be having. going to have one of the, there's not a lot of good you can say about Florida politics. This is But good. we'll have one of the two best that we have in Tallahassee. As you know, in the state house, you have Ann Ascomani, and in the state Senate, you have Chevron Jones. He will be joining us on Monday evening to talk about the latest ridiculous incarnation of Governor DeSantis and his warpath towards the White House. And well, and, and there's a, there's a lawsuit that's impending. Um, ben Crump is the attorney. I know that um, there, there are several parties involved in bringing this lawsuit. And essentially what it comes down to is that the state legislature is wanting to eliminate or not offer the AP African history, African-American history. It's an elective. Class. 
It's an elective. It's an AP course. You don't have to take it. And not not just that. Okay, here's and, and let's talk about that for a second. And we will get into this with Chevron. Why is it not required? Not AP, not AP, but like everything else, everything has levels. You you could have you could have that history, not at the AP level. You should be asking yourselves, why isn't that a course that everybody has to take? Because it should be. And why is it that only certain students who qualify to take an AP course, which, by the way, is a pretty small segment of the population to begin with and have to be a certain type of student to take that. So why why do are those the only students that should be have access to that course? This is a guy who truly believes he's going to be the next president. And I would probably say it's likely at this it point. It is likely, but I'm not. However, this is not working. However. For me. Um, he is very likely going to enter the presidential race in the next three to four months. And if he does, I highly doubt that this is a fight he's going to want because it's not going to help him in the long run. No. And that's why he has, you know, look, he's been noticeably silent on the abortion issue. He definitely keeps putting it off to the back burner as much as possible. He knows that this is definitely not a hill he wants to die on. But this this thing about how we're approaching teaching history is of extreme importance to me. Uh, across all and different great, issues, and, and the greatest and the greatest concern right now, and why the Democratic Party, which has been resisting the change from the populist left for as long as well, not just Bernie, but Bernie really accelerated it ever since Occupy Wall Street. It's been a long time coming, but we all know that the next two seats up on the on the Supreme Court are going to be Alito and um, and Thomas, and I can assure you that it'll be very similar to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg situation. Unless they're out in a body bag, they are going to sit there until a GOP president is there, and then they will step down and be replaced by somebody 30 years younger than they are. And that's how this works. So as far as I'm concerned, the cycle will repeat. As Zaina said, we have to start from the ground up. We have to be focused on local and state. And what we will talk about with Chevron is how we can start really building that infrastructure. I need to help with that. I, I find the education thing huge. Hi, Jason. It's so funny. I was just thinking about you today. I was just looking at a post you just made on Instagram and I was thinking, oh, he's sitting in traffic at the border. That looks fun. Hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think these are important issues. I very much am obviously very... Um, unabashedly pro-First Amendment. I have a lot of issues with a lot of the censorship that's going on. But this idea of not properly teaching history, and this is something that I think that has been one of my biggest motivators doing this show for the past two years, is whether it comes to how we're dealing with deconstructing Zionism on this show, or how we've taught about things like when it was... Um, the anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. And we, we talked about that. I, I find it very important to teach people things that I recently learned and didn't know because I really feel like, and I grew up in a very good public school system down here in Florida. I grew up around educated people. I grew up around smart people. And so when I come across an entire topic or an entire group um, of people that we weren't exposed to or taught about, it's safe to assume that a lot of people weren't exposed to it as well. So that's all. It's not from a, well, if I didn't know, nobody knows. But, you know, I, I have enough in academia where I kind of feel like, yeah, kind of. I agree. I think that these are, and of course, my attitude regarding this particular topic, you know, the <laughs> AP, uh, you know, uh, African-American studies that is being banned in school, it's just a distraction. 
It's just another distraction not to deal with the fact that people can't afford to live in the state of Florida. But yet it's still subjugating people and it's an important distraction. I want people to learn African-American history. Actually, can we just stop saying like the only reason, by the way, that that has to be a thing is because they were erased from our actual history in this country. So now it has to be a thing. See, it didn't have to be a thing. It could have always just been history. I mean, listen, I never learned about Black Wall Street in in, in Oklahoma or Tulsa, Oklahoma. By the way, there were multiple Black Wall Streets. That wasn't just, that was one. That was one that got burnt down. No, no, no. They all got destroyed. Oh, they did. All of them got destroyed. Tulsa was the main one that we heard of, but there were a handful of others around that same time. I didn't find find that out until like a few years ago. Well, right. And I, you know, I mean, I went to public school, but I, I didn't, that, that was never talked about. And these are things that are important because again, the subjugation of working people also used through a divide and conquer strategy based on race, creed, sexual orientation, and so forth is how you keep people divided. And it's funny, they're fighting about whether or not to have an AP course in African-American history. They're fighting about this. Well, one of the big things, and DeSantis got on and bitched about this, was the idea of the intersectionality issue and about teaching about um, queer black I don't know exactly what the phrase was, how it was, and Chevron will talk more about this. But yes, there's an intersectionality issue. There's a reason why black um, uh, transgender women are the most violently attacked and vulnerable people. So you can't take those things, whatever. And that, I, but that that also seeps into the to the very deep rooted conversation about the uh, blindness of religion within a number of communities, and that's another problem. Because a lot of people live in the shadows. They do. And, and well, yeah. Andrew, you know, when, when Gillum went through what he went through, that was yeah. a perfect opportunity to really have that honest conversation. But it did, you know. Well, look, Chevron is going to come on. He's going to talk about it. I saw his, if you guys haven't seen his interview on Democracy Now!, it was great. Um, with it, Amy Goodman? With Amy Goodman. Go and, it and it was also, and I cannot remember the man's first name, Gallen is his last name, who's on the Miami-Dade school board, who's also part of this um, lawsuit. But- Yeah, the idea that there's people fighting to keep people from getting accurate information is infuriating to me. You might not like the subject matter. I appreciate that. You might not like it. I don't like a lot of things. I don't like geometry. (laughs) But like, you know, other people should still have the ability to learn it again. But then again, I think Howard's in people's history should be required reading for high schoolers. And I think that 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 our whole approach to teaching history is completely warped. Well, this will definitely be a topic of conversation that will be very relevant on Monday. It is not going away. Uh, maybe, maybe not. You might see, see us on status quo over the weekend during your marathon. I don't know. I wasn't invited. That's all I'm saying. We'll see what Jordan has to say. I wasn't invited, In Jordan. In the meantime, we appreciate your support. Remember to smash that like button. If you are so inclined, as we so often ask that you are, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You become a wonderful supporter of this great show. That includes you, Thomas R. And if you are feeling a little extra generous for $10 a month, you can get the Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian 2024 bumper sticker because we all know the most likely person to become president is going to be this so, team. It is. Well, look, that is the most powerful. Pe- those are the most powerful people in the Democratic Party. They've stopped all things from happening. I mean, our president couldn't get a $15 minimum wage because of the parliamentarian. That's pretty huge. But if you are not feeling the love of giving your credit card information. I do say down with in, math. But but if you are feeling super, super generous, the tri-blend 
Guys, Baseball it's just jersey. a jersey. It's really, but I say try because it's really that comfortable. It is a soft jersey. $25 a month will get you the wonderful shirt. Your support means a lot. But if you are so inclined to contribute but really don't want to put your credit card on record, you could go to Cash App. And at Cash App, you can put in dollar sign gen change and pitch in to our show. Lord knows we would be extremely appreciative of that contribution. We're very appreciative. Yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. We haven't had as many guests tonight. I Maybe it's because of, you know. I, I never know. know why. Yeah, I never, never know, know why. I can't really say which one night or the other does better, but obviously thank you to Jordan and Status Quo for their contribution to the show. Absolutely. For anybody who pitches in, we are obviously very appreciative. Uh, any and all matters, uh, you know, that to me really says a lot. Um, as I say, we are a small but mighty show, but we are obviously very appreciative of each and every one of you that are here. Thank you so much. Smash that like button, subscribe, like, do all those wonderful things. We'll see you. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.